going to go through First Peter. I told Janine we were convinced about that, and then God just led me here to First John. So the name of our new book series is going to be called, the theme, Loved to Love. That's really what 1 John is all about. So we're going to begin our book series through 1 John this morning. We're not going to go very far. We're going to go through the first four verses. But love to love is the theme of our series of 1 John. But the lesson title for today is Jesus Changes Everything. And I'm going to do something here at the beginning. Uh, Try something with the technology. I can't guarantee it's going to work. So if I just fall on my face, just move on. We'll act like we know what we're doing here. Um, before this, I want to ask you a question. Did you ever, ever have something come into your life that drastically changed your life? Jesus, clearly. Hopefully that's the right answer. Uh, I'm not going to start with that. I will get to that. But I want to share a little bit of an illustration with you. I've had certain times in my life where things have drastically changed my life. Marriage. Marriage was one of those for the good. Uh, that drastically changed my life. My life up till marriage was different, and once I got married, everything changed for the better. Our first baby. Now, we are now pregnant, as a little bit of news there, with our sixth. But when it was time to have our first baby, I remember everything changing again, because we didn't have a clue about how to be parents. And so maybe you remember, if you have children, what that was like, that first experience. Recently, we also had a change come into our life when we were made pastor of Wyoming Valley Church. And that's another good change, but things have changed for us drastically since then. But I want to share a little bit of a story with you of how things drastically changed for us. And about four and a half years ago, no, it was longer than that. It was about five years ago or something that we found out we were going to have a baby. It was going to be our second baby. So we went to the ultrasound just to find out how the baby was doing, you know, just check the size and, you know, how it's going. And that's when we found out something was unusual. And I'm going to share a little bit of a, a, a video here that I hope is going to go well. Um, I can't guarantee it's going to work, but if it does, it's going to be hopefully good. Are we good? No? Again, I told you. With technology, you live and die by technology. Okay, it says it's on, but I don't see it. Are we on two? Never mind. It says it has ended. Let's try it one more time, and if not, I will just illustrate it myself. <laughs> Maybe. Let's reenact it. No go. Okay, that's what I told you. Sometimes these things just don't work. What's that? Yeah, it worked fine before, so apparently we're just not supposed to show it. Anyways, let me tell you what happened in this. Yes, I showed a little bit right before our sermon started, you know, as a a trailer, but uh, you guys aren't going to be able to see it. Okay, never mind. So, okay, basically what happened is we went to this ultrasound, okay? And expecting to just see how our baby is doing. We're not going to find out the gender yet. It was way too early for that. But we had a great doctor. He had one of those ultrasound machines right in his room. And so every time we were there, he just hooked us up to the ultrasound. But uh, So this was the first time we were going to get a chance to see our baby. And really excited about that. In fact, we just did our last one, our most recent one. We did the ultrasound for that baby. And that went well, too. But this one was very different back in 2013 because the doctor pulls up the ultrasound machine and he said, you know what, the baby's looking good, nice and healthy, you know, no, no, no worries here, I think everything looks fine. And as a parent, you sigh a relief because that's exactly what you want to hear, right? You don't want to see there's any complications or anything weird. So we were so thankful, thanking the Lord for this nice, healthy baby that was on track. But then our doctor said something unusual, which I, sh- I wish I could show you, it's so good. 
He said, I just want to make sure before we close this up that there's not another baby. And I was like, what? Another baby? Thinking, that doesn't happen to people. <laughs> people don't have twins. But uh, he said, yeah, let's just make sure. And as he was kind of like moving the thing around, he noticed there was another baby. And so he's trying to explain to us in this video that we were having a set of twins. And I was like, I couldn't believe this. And the video, if I ever do show it to you, will uh, show that perfectly, that I just couldn't believe we were having twins. And I just kept saying to him, you got to be kidding me, over and over. And he was reassuring me, I'm not kidding you. I have 40 years experience. You're having twins. And I, I illustrate that today to show you that our life changed from that point on. Our life has not been the same ever since we had the twins. I'm going to try it one more time, just because I think it's... It's going to be so much better than my description of it. The three strikes are out or three times a charm, right? So here we go. I don't know why it would work now, but you never know. <gasps> okay. All right. I might, I might cut this off because I shared a little bit, but I just want to share you. Okay. Wow. Wasn't that worth it? Okay. Isn't that so much better? Anyways, you get the idea. Our life changed completely from that point on. I, I, I left with my jaw open. I still couldn't close it. I, I still couldn't believe we were having twins. And now that we have those twins, they are a joy to us, a true gift. Sometimes people come up to us and say, oh, I'm so glad it wasn't me who had twins. It's always an odd statement to tell people who has twins. But we're always thinking to that person going, you have no idea what you're missing out on. Having twins is a blessing, a wonderful gift. I want to now direct our attention to 1 John and remember uh, the title of our lesson today is Jesus Changes Everything. And what I'm going to do before we actually get to the normal slides is I want to illustrate this on the screen, something that John is going to point out. We're going to look at the book of 1 John. Our series is going to be called Loved to Love. But generally when you start a new book, you want to give a little bit of background, right? And who the author is and who the audience is. And I'm going to be honest, not much is known about this book. Uh, everyone assumes and everybody has guessed that this is the disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, John. But some, uh, there's even a discretion on that, uh, uh, discrepancy on that, excuse me, about who the actual author is. But we believe it to be John the disciple that was really close to Jesus in his inner circle there. And so we're going to assume that's who it is. The audience is, is pretty much to a bunch of house churches in Ephesus. Okay, most of them are Jews. And so John is not going to open his letter like the Apostle Paul. He's not going to say grace and peace to you. He's not going to say who he is. He's just going to get into the text. 
So we're going to jump right here into the text. And I would just want to illustrate something for you here on the screen if I can. I want you to notice something, as I noticed something as I studied this, okay? I want you to notice how often Jesus is mentioned in this small little passage, verses 1 to 4. So I'm just going to illustrate this by circling them. Notice this. I'm going to read it as I say this. That which was from the beginning. There's one. Which we have heard. There's two. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know what? I missed a couple. It and it. So count them with me. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 times Jesus is mentioned in four verses. 12 times. Do you see that? 12 times John is making it very clear it doesn't matter who the author is of 1 John. The point of 1 John 1 to 4 is going to be Jesus. Now, we came out of Colossians, and I think this is a good book to go to because it's a nice little handoff here. Because as you remember, our theme was treasuring Jesus. But if you know anything about John, he is not only the author of 1 John. He's also the author of the Gospel of John. So I want you to notice something from chapter 1 here that Paul read for us as well. I'm probably not going to get to all of these, but I'm going to do as many as I can. Notice from John chapter 1, very similar. No intro, no background. He just gets right into the text, and he starts talking about somebody. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Talks a little bit about John the Baptist, then in verse 9 he gets right back to it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, and you get the point, over and over and over. John is illustrating that the whole point is Jesus. And then I want to take you to one more passage here. John chapter 5, if you're following along. And I want you to notice verse 39 here. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees at this point, okay? And he's telling the Pharisees in one of their little uh, disagreements about who Jesus is and how you find eternal life. This is what Jesus says in reply to them. Verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Do you know what Jesus is saying there? Eternal life is not in the scriptures. I am the eternal life. Jesus is saying, I am. The scriptures tell testimony about me. And that's why we're titling this lesson today. If we can go back to the slides now. Jesus changes everything. And I want you to think about things in your life that have changed 
your life drastically as we go through this today. But I want you to notice from 1 John, John has a first-hand account of Jesus. If you guys have ever been in a courtroom setting or ever seen one of those courtroom TV shows or movies, a first-hand witness is a very powerful testimony, isn't it? When someone says, I was there, I saw it, that testimony goes a long way into the conviction or acquittal of the person on trial. So John is going to say to us today, I was there when Jesus was upon the earth. And he's going to give us his first-hand testimony of Jesus Christ today, which is going to be very powerful. And I just want to walk you through the things that John says here. The thing he starts the passage with is, that which was from the beginning. The beginning of everything. John's obviously talking about someone who was there when everything started. That must be God. John is now talking about God. God is his subject. More specifically, Jesus Christ is his subject. But he's saying, that which was from the beginning, I saw. So if someone was there at the beginning, that means they were there before the beginning. And he's talking clearly about God. God and Jesus were there when it all started. Which means they are before creation. They have no beginning and no end. Then John says, which we have heard. Which we have heard. John, the disciples, listened closely to the authority of God through Jesus Christ's teaching and wisdom. They heard Jesus speak. And when Jesus spoke, he didn't speak like any other teacher they have ever heard in their life. Jesus spoke from Mark 121 as, as if he had authority from God. And even the people who didn't believe in God said that about Jesus Christ. He spoke as if he had authority. And so John was saying to these people, I heard the authority of God come through Jesus Christ. No man looking like Jesus from Jesus' upbringing with Joseph and Mary could speak the way he spoke. John is saying, he's from God. I heard him. I listened to his teachings. His teachings had authority. It was as if he was with God when he was teaching. We know that Jesus is of God, so that's important to know. Then John says, which we have seen with our eyes. And I think what he means here is we saw the miraculous deeds of Jesus. We saw him heal the lame from birth, a person who had never walked up to that point. Jesus came along and healed them, and that person started walking as if they had always walked. He cured the blind. Can you imagine never seeing from birth, and then Jesus comes along and puts some mud on your eyes, and the scales fall off your eyes, and suddenly you can see everything for the first time. What a wild scene that would be. Imagine taking in all of creation for the first time, and the glory and the credit goes to Jesus Christ. John says, I was there. I saw it. I saw the lame cured. I saw the blind cured. But guess what he also saw? 5,000 people plus came to hear Jesus teaching. We remember the story from our Sunday school days, right? And it was a long day. They were there a long time, and people were getting hungry. And the disciples had a great plan. Send them away. Send them into the towns. Let them get some food. And Jesus had a better plan. Let them stay here. We'll feed them. And so they try to scrounge up some food, and they come up with two fish and five loaves and go, Are you, Jesus, we're going to be able to feed like one family. That's it. And Jesus took the loaves and took the fish and kept breaking them apart, 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 until 5,000 plus people were stuffed. 
And John goes, I was there. I saw it. Not only that, but they had food left over. And John is saying, I saw it with my eyes. I'm a firsthand witness of who Jesus is. He's also saying he has proof of Jesus' deity. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a moral man. He is the Lord. And then he says that which we have looked upon. The disciples had the opportunity to study Jesus. In other words, if Jesus had any fault with him, they would have found it. The disciples were with Jesus for three plus years. They had every opportunity to study Jesus and find fault if there was fault. But they didn't find any fault because Jesus is spotless and perfect and righteous and holy. And John says, we looked upon him. We studied him. He's faultless. He's perfect. They saw his testimony. They saw his miracles. Today we have uh, magicians, illusionists, things like that. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those shows. Janine and I watched this show for a while called The Carbonaro Effect. Anybody seen that show? That show is actually pretty entertaining. Um, in this show, this illusionist is doing magic tricks, basically out in public. And sometimes he'll take over a restaurant or he'll take over a little store. And he's doing pretty incredible things in front of these people's eyes. And there's no stage. There's nothing like that. So these people are going, how did he just do stuff like this? And one of the ones I remember is he's in this restaurant. And he's eating a piece of steak. This is one of my favorite ones. And he's eating this piece of steak. And, and suddenly this piece of steak starts to move. And the guy next to him is like, what in the world? Like he couldn't believe his eyes. And all of a sudden the, the Carbonaro guy leaves. And the steak gets up off the plate and runs across the counter. And you can imagine what this guy's belief, he was like, his eyes were open, his jaw was open, going, what in the world? But Carbonaro even admits he's an illusionist. These aren't real, these are tricks. Michael Carbonaro is not doing these things actually. He's tricking your eyes. Now, we go back 2,000 years ago, there's a man called Jesus Christ who not only is doing miraculous deeds, but has no stage, no props, no technology, and he's taking people who have been sick and lame and blind from birth, and he's curing them in an instant. And John is saying, we studied him. We looked upon him. We heard him. He is God. There's no ghost. There's no mirage. He is the Son of God. And guess what else he did? Jesus fulfilled Scripture. He knew Scripture, the ins and outs of Scripture, and exactly as Scripture said in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled it with his own teachings and doings. John goes on to say that we have touched him with our hands. John was close to Jesus. He actually had you know, touched Jesus and vice versa. But I don't think he's just talking about generally touching Jesus. I think he's, what he's saying here is he touched the Son of God after Jesus had been risen from the dead. So remember, Jesus actually died on the cross and nails were shoved into his hands and his feet, and a crown of thorns on his skull, and a sword pierced into his side. And three days later, he was alive. And John was one of those people who saw Jesus alive and said, listen, I touched him after he was alive again. I saw his wounds. I have the testimony not only of his life and his teachings, but of his resurrection. I touched him with my hands after Jesus had died. Think about how powerful that would be. Jesus actually died. He was in the grave three days. And then after that, 500 plus witnesses say they saw Jesus alive. So imagine that in a courtroom setting. 
someone is brought in to testify, and they not only bring one person, they bring 500 plus people to say the exact same thing. I saw Jesus after he was alive. Excuse me, after he was dead and risen from the dead. I was there. And John is one of those people saying, I was there. Do you see how powerful this testimony is? So what he's about to say to us is going to be very important because John is a first-hand witness of Jesus Christ. And then he says this last thing concerning the word of life. Not only did John see with his eyes and hear it with his ears, Jesus changed John. John heard the word of life, and it changed John forever. John heard the gospel. John heard the teachings of Jesus Christ. John had the power of the Holy Spirit come upon him. And he's giving first-hand account of his own testimony to say, I was this, Jesus came into my life, and now I'm this. All glory to God. Isn't that powerful? That's the way John starts it off. I was there. He's not just man. He's not just gone and buried. He's alive. See, Christianity is not blind faith. Christianity is faith versus sight with our eyes. It's spiritual versus physical, but it's not blind faith. It's not. Christianity is based on clear and obvious creation, which you can look at every single day of your life if you want to understand God. The scriptural authority of the Word of God. Have you ever read the Bible in Jico? Duh. This is not man-made. No man could have created what the scriptures create. There is power within these words. It calls it a double-edged sword, and I feel that when I open up scripture. It, it comes into my soul, it comes into my mind, it comes into my heart. It convicts, it encourages, it gives me joy, it gives me healing. The word of God is a testimony of Jesus Christ as well. We also have the power of God in your first-hand accounts of Jesus' life and resurrection upon your own hearts. I hope you do. That is a very powerful testimony of Jesus. In fact, I would say this today, that's the best testimony. That if you want to share the gospel with someone, tell them what Jesus did for you. Tell them who you were, where you were headed, your encounter with Jesus, and what has changed based on that. That is a powerful testimony so Christianity is based on so many signs, so much proof. It's not blind faith. And John is basically saying today, I was there, and I want you to understand that what I'm about to say is from Jesus. It's not John's words. It's not John's opinion. I'm going to share with you today what Jesus taught me. And that's really what the whole book of 1 John is going to be about, is John's firsthand account of what Jesus wanted everyone to to know. So number two, we're going to talk about the life was made manifest. That's what it says in verse chapter two. It says the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. I don't know if you use the word manifest much, but it's not one I use often. I looked it up in the dictionary and this is what the word manifest means. It has two different definitions. One is an adjective, which means clear or obvious to the eye or mind. It can also be a verb, meaning to display or show by one's acts or appearance or to demonstrate. The life was made manifest. The life, Jesus, was made clear or obvious to the eye or mind. Have you ever had anything made manifest 
in your life made clear or obvious? I'll share a little bit of a story here. In Michigan, Janine and I had this apartment, and it was a great apartment. We moved, and we're happy to move into this apartment because it was, we thought it was nicer than we deserved to have. It was a nice apartment, but it had a very interesting quirk that we found out kind of by accident. Janine was cooking the one day, and the smoke alarm went off. And this smoke alarm, if you had a heart condition, you'd be calling 911, or maybe not even. This smoke alarm was so loud and piercing. And all, I think all you did was like make toast or something like that. She was burning something horribly, if I remember right. Anyways, this smoke alarm was very sensitive and very loud. And I just remember going, this, this has to be shut off. I, I, would rather, I would rather find out a fire another way than this startle me in the middle of the night. But you know what that thing was doing? It was manifesting the fact that there was smoke or problem within our apartment. It was making it clear or obvious so that you don't miss it. And that's an illustration of what John is talking about, that the life was made manifest. It was made clear or obvious to your mind so that you don't miss it. Jesus was not going to let anybody on the last day go, really, I missed it. What, what, what happened? God is real? Yeah, I whew, missed that one. Nope. Nobody gets to say that to God on the last day. God is obvious. And so is Jesus Christ, if you want to know. And if you remember, one of the, uh, the, one of the coolest testimonies in the scripture comes from kind of a non-believer. When Jesus was dying on the cross, you guys remember the centurion? Um, the centurion watches Jesus die and crucified, and his last testimony of Jesus is really powerful. He said, surely this was the Son of God. Wow. So the centurion comes in, doing the crucifixion to Jesus Christ, watches Jesus die, watches the sky go dark for three hours in the middle of the day, and offers up this testimony that surely this was the Son of God. Jesus was made manifest even to the centurion. John calls him, first of all, the life. The life. And even Jesus, from his own admission in John 14, 6, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the life. Both physical and spiritual, as if to say no life exists outside of Jesus. None. Without Jesus, no one is created. None of us exist, unless Jesus said so. So that's number one. Jesus is the author of physical life. But you'd also know what he is. He's the author of spiritual life. That without Jesus' death and resurrection, nobody can come back to God for forgiveness or salvation ever. So no one's alive physically and no one's alive spiritually without Jesus. He's the author, he's the giver, and he's the sustainer of life. Or John calls him the life. He is the life. If you and I stay dead, it's purely because we have rejected or neglected Jesus. Because anyone who encounters Jesus by faith cannot be alive. Can't. If you encounter Jesus, who is the life, you're not going to stay dead because it's impossible. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 3.16 says, whoever believes will have eternal life. So as soon as you encounter Jesus by faith, you're made alive. And so the first question I have for you today is, do you believe? Have you believed in the life, in the life giver, in the life sustainer, in the author of life? Do you have life in, inside your soul and your life today based on Jesus Christ? Here's the, kind of one of the points I want to make today, and I think I need to hit this home. 
that if you and I aren't obviously alive spiritually, remember the word manifest, if we aren't obviously alive spiritually, then I think you and I have every right to doubt and question our authenticity as a Christian. You don't want to know why? Because when someone meets Jesus, everything changes. I want to interject a little bit of my testimony here. From ages 5 to 26, I professed Jesus Christ. And I, I can't say I wasn't. I still don't know when and where I was saved for the first time. But when I trusted in Jesus Christ, I, I lived like a normal, brought-up, born-again Christian. I knew what to say, what to wear, what to sing, what things to avoid. And so I learned how to do those things. I wasn't a rebellious child. Until I was about in my teens and early 20s, I started to drift from the things I had once known and heard and loved. And I got to about age 26, and those things had really come to a pinnacle in my life, where now I was chasing things of the world full throttle. I wanted those things more than I wanted anything in my life. And at age 26, you know what happened to me? Jesus was made manifest. Maybe for the first time. I looked into the book of Revelation, <laughs> For whatever reason, that was the book God used. And Jesus was made manifest. And I encountered the life giver. And do you know what happened from that point on? Jesus changed everything. All glory to God. The reason I am with you today, the reason I am your pastor today is because of that encounter. Because I was not headed that way. I was not curious. I was not looking to be more religious or more Christ-like. I didn't care anything about it. But then I met Jesus. Jesus was made manifested to my soul and I believed. And that is why I'm alive today. That's why John is alive. That's why John is the author of this book, is because he met Jesus. So I need to say this today. Eternal life doesn't begin when we leave this earth and go to heaven. Because eternal life is with Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus today, eternal life has already started. Now, it's going to be much sweeter and much more profound on the other side. I will say that. That when you and I can leave this sin-stained world that we live on, it's going to be so much sweeter in heaven. But Jesus isn't a part of eternal life. He is eternal life. And John calls him the eternal life. So heaven isn't eternal life. Jesus is. We need to make that distinction. Heaven is not eternal life. Jesus is there. If Jesus isn't in heaven, that's not eternal life. Because life with Jesus is eternal life. In fact, he said this very thing in John 17.3. Can we turn there quickly? This will be my one cross-reference. John 17.3. Just listen to what it says. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know God. And they know Jesus. So if you know God and know Jesus today, you already have eternal life coursing through your spiritual veins. All praise to Jesus because he is the life. He's not a part of the life. He's not a significant part of the life. We've said this before, but he is the life. He is the eternal life. Number three, life, the life, must be proclaimed to the dead. We know this, right? But I'm going to stamp this today. That if you and I are alive in Christ, we have a responsibility to make Jesus manifest upon the world. Because we are now his hands and feet. Even like the song we just sang kind of says that. We are now the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Where I can't change the soul, I can't do any soul work, but I need to make Jesus clear to this world. 
I need to show him by my testimony, show him by my holiness, show him by my love so that someone can come to life who's currently dead, giving all glory to Jesus Christ. Have you and I become spoiled? Have we forgotten how hopeless it is without Jesus? Do we walk about our days as if we don't have hope? As if we don't have a cure for death? We do. We do have a cure for death. And they are dead all over this world. Are we trying to distract ourselves with senseless and unsatisfying pleasures of the world? The people of this world deserve a chance to come to life, don't they? We deserve that chance. The people of this world deserve a chance. Now, they still have a choice. They can reject or they can believe. But they deserve a chance to hear from those who have the message of life that they too can come to life in Christ. The Apostle Paul, we read Colossians. We went through that book for 13 weeks. If you know anything about Paul's life, he gave the devil a fight didn't he? Boy, the devil had his hands full with the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul was not going to stop sharing the message of life. Beatings, imprisonments, threats, house arrests, shipwrecks. Paul never stopped going forward. I have the message of life and they are dead upon this world. I'm not going to stop until the dead have heard so that they can come to the life. So the question for us today is, are we giving the devil a fight? Are we laying down? Are we making it so easy for the devil he just moves on to other people because we're already making it so easy? Or are we giving him a fight as if to say, I don't care if there's obstacles. I don't care if someone says, hey, I don't like you for that. I'm going to continue going for it because I have the cure for death. His name is Jesus Christ. So you and I have a responsibility, if we have this life, to share this life with others. And if you're not a public speaker like this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. A, you don't have to share it publicly with your speech. You can share it with your life. And B, get over it. If you have the message of death, you'll find any way possible to share that message. You can't just chalk it up to, I'm shy. Therefore, people didn't hear the message of the life. That's not good enough. People are dying. And we have the message of the life and the life giver. Last of all, for us, John ends this way, saying that he wants us to have fellowship, and he wants us to have complete joy. John clearly states that the purpose of finding and proclaiming Jesus is so that you and I can have fellowship with God, with the Lord, and with his church, those who love the Lord. To fellowship together with God should be such a privilege to us if we realize at one time you and I were homeless and hopeless spiritually. And now we have a family. We have a father. We have a king. We have a savior. We have church brothers and sisters in Christ. And before, we didn't have any of that. And, Paul, and John, excuse me, is going to say that he wants us to understand how sweet fellowship is with God and with his church. Because to be able to share with Jesus and God in love and righteousness is the best gift anyone could ever receive. Because we're adopted. We weren't supposed to be here. We aren't Jews, most of us, I believe. We're Gentiles, which means God adopted us into his family. Romans 11 calls us wild olive shoots. 
that were grafted into the natural vine. So that's what we are, wild olive shoots. But now we're not. Now we're children of God. And we can fellowship with God and with his people. And that should be very sweet to us. That's not something we should recoil at and, and say, you know what, I don't really have time for this. Yeah, the church, yeah, I got better things to do. No, you don't. This is God's family. This is God's family. You should be, find it a privilege to be here with his people. But not just fellowship. The last thing John says, listen to what he says here in verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a cool reason that John is writing basically this entire book so that your joy can be more, higher, greater than it is now? Whatever you're getting from the world, yeah, it's not good enough either. John wants you to have complete and better joy. Because joy, joyfulness outside of Christ, complete joyfulness is a silly notion. It doesn't exist. Now, you and I can get samples of joy here upon the earth, just like you ever go to a store and they're handing out samples of whatever they're selling, you know, and you can taste a little bit of it. That's kind of what the world gives you. It gives you samples of joy. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you get joy in completion. Joy forevermore. And that's what John wants us to have. It's not a sample. A sample is not good enough. He wants us to experience the complete and real and profound joy of Jesus. Or as it says in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in Jesus Christ. That you don't have to have a third-party Christianity, but a first-hand experience. Don't just believe because other people believe. Don't just come to church because other people come to church. Again, that's not good enough. Taste and see for yourself. And once you sample of Jesus, you're not going back to the world. Do you think Paul was ever conflicted to go back to the sin and the camp he had and throw away Jesus Christ and the hope that he has? I think there were maybe periods of that for Paul, but I don't think that was ever a real struggle because Paul tasted of such joy and fellowship and love from Jesus Christ. So our application, let's go to this quickly. Number one, don't shortchange Jesus. He isn't a part of our life. He's not the best part of our life. He is our eternal life. If you have any physical life today, which you all do, thankfully, if you have spiritual life today, it's all credit to Jesus Christ. So don't just call him a part of your life. Don't just say, I'm somewhat religious. I'm somewhat with Jesus. You're either with or you're not. You're either dead or you're alive. And if you're alive, Jesus Christ sustains you this very hour as the life sustainer. And as a part of this application, I'd like you to take a few minutes today and do something for me. Write down as many things as you can think of in your life that have been enhanced by knowing that you have eternal life with Jesus. And as soon as you get carpal tunnel, you can stop. Sit down and write how many things in your life have been enhanced by the fact, the knowledge, that you have eternal life with Jesus. And if you can't do that exercise, then there's a problem, and we need to talk about that. But after writing down several things, pray and thank the Lord for your eternal life. It's a good exercise. And ask him for a better perspective on following Jesus as the life giver. And not as a part of your life, because I think that's a different perspective. So number one, don't shortchange Jesus. Remember, he is everything. Number two, 
this is my biggest point today. Don't have a third-party Christianity. Go to Jesus directly. I think a lot of us today, there's a lot of people in this world who have a hearsay Christianity. I've heard some things about Jesus. I know some things about Jesus. I've been in a Christian family ever since I was young. I'm amongst Christians. Is that John's testimony? It's not John's testimony, is it? I saw Jesus when he fed the 5,000. And guess what? Jesus changed my soul forever. A third-party Christianity isn't good enough either. You and I need to get our best quality time in this life and this earth directly with the Lord. Sit with him. Eat and drink from him. It's not good enough to just hear of Jesus, but to be near him, to be with him. Because knowledge of Jesus doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. And I know that's a very specific and small, uh, seemingly, distinction, but it's a very big distinction. Knowledge of Jesus hasn't saved anybody. Jesus has saved thousands. So if you have to this week, this is going to be my encouragement on this one, try to replace a good book or a good show or a good devotional even, or even a good podcast with direct time with Jesus in prayer, in his scripture. Third party is not going to sustain anybody. You have to be near the source and to be eating and drinking of Jesus directly. Number three, I've already said this before, but I want to stress this. Proclaim Jesus as if you have death, excuse me, a cure for the death, because you do. And if you and I had a cure for cancer and it was tested and proven, it'd be all over the news. At least we'd try. Well, we have a cure for death, eternal death. And sometimes we like to suppress that and act like, you know what, I'm just like the world, I'm just like you, I'm not here to make any enemies. I have the, I have the cure for life, but no one's going to know about it. Wow, that's the entire lack of love. John is going to talk about in this book how important it is to love one another. And I can't think of anything more loving than to share the message of the life with those who are dead. So tell one person this week, friend, stranger, about the gospel. Hand them a tract. Let them know your testimony or love them sacrificially and give all glory to God. Let them see the light in the life of Jesus Christ within you. The dead deserves a chance to come to life. And lastly, number four, don't stop seeking Christ until you experience joy unlike this world can possibly know. Because that was my problem as a young uh, teen and late teen is I, I had some desire to follow Christ. There was some down there, but it wasn't much. And I didn't experience a lot of joy from Christ. I experienced a lot of joy from the world. And that was, a, that was an interesting contrast because I was told to follow Christ, but I found joy in the world. So guess what happened? Guess where I started to drift toward? The joy. The joy. The only problem is it wasn't real joy. And the devil made it seem like it was. Once I experienced the joy of Christ, unlike anything the world can give you, now, my desire, my passion is to get more of that. Experience that joy more so. So if you think you have a third-party Christianity, come and talk to me or someone you trust. Because you need to experience the real joy of Jesus Christ. It'll change your life. And that part of this as well is fellowship with God 
where no one or nothing can convince you that he doesn't exist. Because if someone can come along and convince you by their speech or their arguments that there is no God or Jesus Christ isn't real, didn't raise from the dead, I don't think you're really alive. John was one of those people that was so convinced in his mind and heart and spirit of Jesus' deity, of Jesus being the Son of God, of Jesus being the life giver and life sustainer, that even amidst really tough persecution, John too kept going forward. How did he do that? It was so hard. It was so brutal, the persecution back in the day. He had experienced firsthand joy and fellowship with Jesus Christ. I'm giving you a lot of homework today, but take a moment this afternoon or this evening to consider where you'd be without the Lord's grace. Where would you be today? What would you be chasing today? Where would you be headed today if it wasn't for Jesus Christ? And ask Jesus to remove any version of joyless Christianity from your soul and replace it with the delight of following Jesus. Because if you are following Jesus begrudgingly today and it feels like a chore, you don't have long before you leave. Unless you experience the joy and the firsthand delight of knowing Christ and serving Christ, you won't stay. I don't think you're meant to stay in that version. You need to experience the real joy of the life giver. So my last question for you today, has Jesus changed everything for you? I don't want to make you feel guilty. What I want you to do is know for sure. Because there was a time, a period of 20 years, that I was very unsure of my relationship with God. The sinner's prayer, I told you I must have said it 20, 30 times because I was so unsure. Every time I felt guilt or doubt, I would say the prayer and hopefully stamp my salvation. Finally, I met the real life giver. And Jesus changed everything for me that day. So the question is for you, has Jesus changed everything for you? Because he did for John. He has for me and several in this room, and I don't want you to be outside of Jesus. I don't want you to have a third-party Christianity. If you know Jesus, he has changed everything for you. Get to know him for the first time if you're outside of Jesus Christ, or get back together with him today and experience the firsthand beauty and value and glory and life-giving, joy-giving satisfaction of Jesus Christ. Because that's the point. That's the whole point of John's book. He's going to say some things to us, commandments, as we go on through this book. But it's always about our joy. Isn't that cool to know? All glory to Jesus Christ. I hope and I pray that he will change you if he hasn't yet. And if he has, I pray that you will share that message. Proclaim it from the hills until Christ comes back. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Once again, where would we be without him? We wouldn't have life at all. We thank you for what he's done for us. Um, It's such a high cost. We need to remember what a cost he paid in order to give us life. And Father, I pray for those in this room, some here who may not have the true Jesus, may have been handed something third party or maybe even a forgery and haven't experienced his joy and his fellowship and his hope. I pray for those in this room who may be struggling that way that they would come to know the real Jesus. They would taste and see that the Lord is good and never go back to the world. I pray for all of us. I pray for this church as we seek to mature, seek to grow in our love and our knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.